Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of my book review podcast. This is episode 13 of Unknown Friends, and I am Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wham Productions. I hope you enjoyed my little bonus episode I shared two days ago on July 6th, which was the fifth birthday of my play publishing company, Kitty Wham Productions. So we became an official LLC five years ago. And so just for the fun of it, and to celebrate the anniversary of our founding, I posted that short bonus episode on Monday. It's a six minute uh, blooper reel, bloopers and outtakes from the first dozen episodes of Unknown Friends. So I hope you listen to that and get a good chuckle or two out of it. Now, on to today's book review, which I have been looking forward to ever since I finished reading this book. Today's novel is Wives and Daughters by the Victorian author Elizabeth Gaskell. Yes, I am inevitably back to 19th century British literature, though this is my first foray into Elizabeth Gaskell's works. So she lived from 1810 to 1865, and you may know her as the author of um, North and South, or possibly Cranford. So this lady seems to have done pretty well in life despite growing up amid a lot of hardship. Elizabeth's mother died when she was just a year old, and although Elizabeth had seven older siblings, only she and one brother survived infancy. After her mother died, her father had to send her to live with her aunt, and a few years later, her father remarried. Um, but he was supportive of Elizabeth and encouraged her in her love of reading and of writing. Elizabeth's older brother, John, also encouraged her, and he visited her often at her aunt's until he joined the Navy, although even then he wrote to her while at sea until, sadly, he went missing on a voyage to India in 1827, when Elizabeth was still in her teens. But in spite of everything, she received a good education, and then at age 21, almost 22, she married a Unitarian minister, William Gaskell. Now, this is, this is an interesting aspect of her life. So Elizabeth Gaskell was Unitarian, and not only her husband, but also her father were Unitarian ministers. And while Unitarianism is a fairly broad category with many subdivisions, broadly speaking, the term is used in contrast with Trinitarian beliefs. So Unitarianism holds that God is one being with one person. So most Unitarians would maintain that Jesus is not divine. Now, a lot of other things come along with this term Unitarianism, and like I said, there are many varieties, but their belief in the single uh, personhood of God is their, their fundamental distinction. Now, interestingly, in the Victorian period, uh, roughly the second half of the 19th century, although Unitarians made up a pretty small portion of the population, several prominent families were Unitarian. And so this minority had not an insignificant influence on the society and the politics of the time. 
Now, in my opinion, Elizabeth Gaskell's Unitarian beliefs, which contradict Orthodox Christian beliefs, and of course, there are many, many overlaps between the two. It's not all in conflict. But her uniquely Unitarian beliefs, I don't think, play a major role in the novel Wives and Daughters. So I am not really going to go into that anymore. Um, and anyway, I'm not qualified to speak on Unitarianism in any depth. So I, I do want to talk about aspects of the novel, which I think coincide beautifully with the Christian faith. And I think despite some disparities of worldview, as long as we're very cautious, there are almost always things we can learn from people who don't um, exactly share our beliefs, especially uh, if those people are thoughtful and careful about what they do believe, which I think Elizabeth Gaskell clearly is. So a few more tidbits quickly from Elizabeth's life. After marrying William Gaskell, they raised four daughters together, and she also had one daughter stillborn and a son who died in infancy from scarlet fever. Her first novel, Mary Barton, was published in 1848 when Elizabeth was 38, uh, just two years after her youngest child had been born. And this debut novel was a huge success. Over the years then, she wrote several more novels, as well as short stories and novellas and poetry, and some nonfiction as well, including a biography of Charlotte Bronte, the, the author who wrote Jane Eyre. Elizabeth was good friends with Charlotte, and it was shortly after her death in 1855 that Elizabeth wrote and published this biography of her friend. Elizabeth Gaskell was also acquainted with Charles Dickens, who encouraged and even helped publish some of her fiction. Now, I should mention, although Elizabeth Gaskell was a fairly popular author in her day, even then she had some fairly harsh critics, and her works slowly declined in, in the opinion of critics. And for about a century after her death, she was essentially dismissed from having any place in classic literature. But over the last 50 years or so, we see a resurgence in her popularity and a, a renewed vision of the value and the depth of her work. And at least from this this one novel of hers that I've read so far, Wives and Daughters, I would totally put her up there with uh, Jane Austen and Charles Dickens as one of my new favorite authors from the Victorian era. As we will discuss today, her grasp of human nature and its tendencies, as well as the skill with which she depicts her characters, really impress me. And I think it would be a shame to ignore her contribution to uh, the great conversation of literature. Now, Wives and Daughters specifically. This was Elizabeth Gaskell's last novel, published uh, serially in a monthly literary journal from 1864 to early 66. However, Elizabeth never finished wives and daughters because she unexpectedly died from a heart attack in November 1865. So she had written all but the very last chapter. So the story is essentially complete. But if you read the novel, instead of that 
planned final chapter, there's just a concluding note from the magazine's editor describing what Elizabeth had communicated to her family or in her notes about how she intended to wrap up the story's ending. So it's sad that we don't get all the loose ends tied up in her own words, but you're close enough to the end at that point that you you understand how things are going to wrap up, and at least I found it still a satisfying ending. So the novel Wives and Daughters centers on the wonderful character of Molly Gibson. So Molly, like Elizabeth Gaskell herself, lost her mother at a young age, and Molly is an only child. She and her father, who is a country doctor, have a a strong, close relationship, and overall Molly grows up um, very happily. But things start to shift when she's about 17. Through a series of events, her father, Dr. Gibson, starts to feel Molly is to the age where she's really lacking the guidance that a mother would give. And at about the same time, Dr. Gibson meets a middle-aged lady who seems on short acquaintance quite the type of person who might make him a good wife and Molly a good mother. This woman has a daughter of her own named Cynthia, who is about Molly's age, um, although Cynthia is currently abroad in France. And so, you guessed it, Dr. Gibson, uh, thinking not only to enjoy the companionship of a wife, but also glad to give Molly a mother and a sister, he decides to marry this lady. Molly, however, is not thrilled at all at this prospect. At the time of her father's decision, she is away from home visiting the Hamley family, Squire Hamley and his wife. And it comes as something of a shock when Dr. Gibson visits and tells his daughter of his intentions. So Molly is devastated at first, feeling that she'll be losing her father, in a sense, if he remarries. But this, still pretty early in the novel, this is when a key conversation happens that clues the reader in to the novel's central theme. So Squire and Mrs. Hamley, whom Molly is visiting, they have two sons who are both at Cambridge, but the younger son, Roger, is visiting home at the same time that Molly is visiting. And they don't really know each other yet, but Roger happens upon Molly right after she has heard her father's plans to remarry. And she is miserable and just trying to process it. So he listens to her story and he doesn't really know what to say, but he tries to comfort her and to give her the best advice that he can. And I want to read you one sentence that pretty much sums up the essence of his advice. What he says is this, One has always to try to think more of others than of oneself. So he kindly points out that marrying again will likely add to her father's happiness, and so the best thing for her to do will be to support and encourage him and seek his happiness before her own. And in fact, that will help Molly be happy. Well, Molly isn't sure what to make of this at first, but it does help her, and she stores his advice away, and truth be told, gradually it changes her life. It takes time, but this 
principle, putting the good of others above her own, comes to guide her life. And I think it sums up the central theme of the novel as well. But before I get any deeper into themes, I can say a bit more about the plot and how events continue to transpire in Molly's life. So Dr. Gibson remarries, and soon the new Mrs. Gibson and her daughter Cynthia join the family in their little country home. Both Mrs. Gibson and her daughter are uh, multi-layered characters and difficult to describe in brief, but um, to sum them up as, as succinctly as possible, Mrs. Gibson is sort of well-meaning, uh, she intends to treat Molly just like her own daughter, but at the same time, she has definite opinions about her and her family's status and how she wants to run her new home. And while she does believe that she shows Molly motherly care and kindness, in reality, Mrs. Gibson does not understand what genuine care for others is. Neither does her daughter, Cynthia, although she is better at least at recognizing selfless love than her mother is, though neither one um, knows how or is really willing to practice it. But be that as it may, while Molly finds it difficult at first to get used to this drastic change in her father's home, she keeps trying to instill in herself the habit of thinking of others more than herself, um, just as Roger Hamley encouraged her to do. And very soon, despite their differences, Molly truly does find a friend in Cynthia, a girl her own age, with a lively uh, disposition, cheerful, and affectionate in her own way. Meanwhile, Molly's friendship with Roger has grown strong due to her care for his mother, Mrs. Hamley, who's ill, and because Molly has gained new interests from Roger, which establishes a kind of um, fellowship between them. Roger studies science at Cambridge, and so he shares um, books and little discoveries and details with Molly until the interest in science is fully her own as well as his. But when Cynthia enters the picture, Roger starts having a little less time for Molly as his attention is drawn to her beautiful and charming stepsister. And Molly, while she believes that she thinks of Roger only as a friend, like a brother even, she is hurt by his shift of attention. Anyway, I cannot follow the path of the plot much further than that since it would give away spoilers, but that is generally the situation that unfolds before Molly, which she has to try to understand and know how to respond to. Meanwhile, of course, other threads are woven through the story. Roger's older brother Osborne has a whole subplot of his own, which Molly gets involved in, and there's a subplot surrounding a kind of creepy guy in town, Mr. Preston, which Molly also gets involved in. Uh, Cynthia gets proposed to by, like, at least, I think, three different young men, maybe four, 
Uh, so there's there's plenty going on in this story, and while Molly herself is in some ways an inconspicuous person, and some other characters find it easy to relegate her to the sidelines, that said, characters with any insight, as well as the reader, they recognize that she is in reality this steady, solid presence at the center of everything, holding it all together. Which brings me directly to some of the book's themes. Molly is quietly steady. And in the novel, Elizabeth Gaskell elevates this quality, this faithful goodness, as I think the best kind of character a person can attain. And she points out the the hidden truth that faithfulness, unnoticed, maybe unrewarded, but unwavering strength of character is actually harder to practice than heroism, a heroic exploit, a grand, a courageous show of strength. Listen to this short exchange midway through the novel between Cynthia and Molly. Cynthia starts by saying this, Perhaps I might be a heroine still, but I shall never be a good woman, I know. To which Molly responds, Do you think it easier to be a heroine? And Cynthia says, Yes, as far as one knows of heroines from history. I'm capable of a great jerk, an effort, and then a relaxation. But steady, everyday goodness is beyond me. One would think everyday goodness should be the easier thing, right? It's small, it's ordinary. But no, no, it's not small, nor is it ordinary. Cynthia says everyday goodness is beyond her. And while it's not stated in this conversation, Elizabeth Gaskell makes it clear that Molly, over time, because it does take a process of learning and practicing, but eventually Molly truly does exemplify steady, everyday goodness. Funny, the novel actually has a subtitle, so the full name is Wives and Daughters, an Everyday Story. (laughs) But what Elizabeth Gaskell does is she shows the everyday life in a new, even an inspiring light. She shows the beauty of patience and study, service, steadfastness, and selfless love. And that's the other thing I just want to mention once more, selfless love. I made a point earlier of Roger's advice to Molly to try to think more of others than of oneself, which she gradually incorporates into her life. As the novel progresses, Elizabeth Gaskell makes it more and more clear that this approach to life is what she understands love to be, putting the good and the happiness of others before our own. And she contrasts this genuine care for others with various false forms of love. Mrs. Gibson, who I think truly believes that she loves her husband and daughters, in reality, she is in her own little world all the time. She has no awareness of and not really any concern for the happiness of those around her. Or Cynthia, who was neglected by her mother as a girl, 
now as a young woman feels that she doesn't know how to love and will never be capable of really loving anyone. She likes getting attention from others. And in a husband, she wants someone who will adore her. So clearly her first concern is not giving to others, but only receiving. And other characters too, throughout the story, they model true or false forms of love in different ways. I won't describe those in depth because we're getting short on time, but through it all, Molly, as well as Roger, who first taught her to think of others first, consistently live for others, which brings them joy, of course, and it helps show us, the readers, what true love for those around us looks like. A couple last things I just want to mention, um, a few observations about Elizabeth Gaskell's writing more broadly. So first, one of the things that most stands out to me about her work is how realistically she portrays characters, how layered and many-sided they are. It's a, it's a hard thing for me to explain. You kind of have to experience her characters for yourself to really see what I mean. But she just does an extraordinary job of avoiding cliches and instead shaping these well-rounded characters with both the consistencies and the inconsistencies that real people have inside them. Mrs. Gibson, for instance, could so easily become just a stereotypical, harsh stepmother, but she's not. As far as she is capable, I think she really wants to treat Cynthia and Molly equally, and honestly, she pretty much does. The problem is she doesn't know how to truly love anyone, so she manipulates and frustrates her own daughter as much as her stepdaughter. Except, I guess, to the extent that she and Cynthia are alike, and so not all the same things bother Cynthia that bother Molly. But while Mrs. Gibson is very flawed, she has some positive character traits as well, so she's not your formulaic evil stepmother at all. And same with all the other major characters, so I, I won't go into each one because it would take too long. Um, and really, you, you just have to read it and get to know each of these marvelous characters for yourself. But I think Elizabeth Gaskell has exceptional skill in this area of creating fully dimensional characters. And two last very brief comments I find it fascinating that one of the other things Roger tells Molly when he gives her advice uh, near the beginning is he tells her a little story with a heroine who behaves as he is encouraging her to behave. And afterward, Molly repeatedly remembers this story and this heroine, and she thinks, I must try to be like her. And that helps her. It's just a small thing, but I love this example of how the stories we encounter can and should help guide our actions. Good stories should nurture in us an attachment to goodness, a desire for goodness. And this is a perfect instance of that inside a novel that can nurture an attachment to goodness in its readers. And 
I shouldn't take the time for the last thing I was going to say. So just um, go to my blog if you're interested, because I wrote a post about it a couple weeks ago. Uh, the post is called Words Like Ready-Made Clothes. I'll put the link in the episode description. Just some thoughts on on one of Elizabeth Gaskell's insights into the nature of communication itself and the link between articulate thoughts and articulate words. It was a, a challenging, motivating insight to me when I saw it in the novel. So if you can't tell, I am highly recommending this book. I can hardly wait to read more by Elizabeth Gaskell. And as for Wives and Daughters, honestly, I would I would give it a 10 out of 10. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I felt it presented a worldview I could really get behind and learn from. So especially if you love um, Jane Austen or Charlotte Bronte or Dickens, I think you would find this novel a very worthwhile addition to your reading list. By the way, there is an excellent audiobook version of this novel, at least on audible.com. If you can, get the version narrated by Prunella Scales. She is excellent. And also, she just has an excellent name, right? I mean, Prunella? Prunella Scales. Have you ever heard anything to beat that? It's, it's, it's wonderful. Teens from my church or, or others who frequently perform the plays I write, just giving you fair warning. Like, I have got to name a character Prunella at some point. So just prepare yourselves. It's coming. Anyway, in all seriousness, if you are into audiobooks, I do highly recommend this one. Also, last note, there is a BBC adaptation of this novel as well, a miniseries from 1999 with just a whole cast of top-notch actors and actresses. They, It's very well done. Um, I watched this together with my mom over the past couple weeks. I think it's maybe uh, five or six hours long, and we greatly enjoyed it. Comparing it to the book, I would say it does a great job following the novel accurately. It doesn't leave out any important events or characters, and it doesn't add things. So it is a, a faithful adaptation, which gets it a lot of points in my book. The only caution I have is in six hours, a film cannot communicate all the layers especially the, the complexities of all the characters, as fully as Elizabeth Gaskell can in a fairly long novel. I mean, I think the audiobook I listened to was about 24 hours long, maybe. So there's just no comparison, six hours to 24. So in a limited time like this BBC miniseries has, I just don't know that there's any way to convey everything going on in the characters' heads and hearts. So I recommend BBC's Wives and Daughters as a rendition of the book that does not deviate from the source material and does manage to capture the core of the story. But if you want the deeper depths and nuances that Elizabeth Gaskell gives, then you just have to read the book. If you have read Wives and Daughters or any of Elizabeth Gaskell's works, I would love to hear from you. Tell me what you think of her novels by emailing me at kittywham at gmail.com 
or you can message me on Facebook or on Instagram. For my next episode, episode number 14 next week, I will be reviewing a book, the title of which sounds rather grim, but its content is really uplifting uh, in, a, in a thoughtful way. I'm talking about Death Comes for the Archbishop, written by the American author Willa Cather and published in 1927. So I hope you join me for that next week. And in the meantime, if you've enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe and review the podcast. And thank you so much for listening.